Well, friends, it is my great privilege to get to stand before you all and to, to share today. And I'm grateful. As I look out, I just see so many friends that I've made over the years here, including my bishop. I appreciate you being here, Bishop, today uh, to come as I get to share a word with you. If you're just joining us, if this is your first day here, and I met some folks on the way in, this is their very first Sunday at St. Luke's. And so God is always drawing and sending new people to this community, and that is a great gift. If you are just joining us, know that we're in a series as we're walking together closer to Christmas in the season we call Advent. And each week we've been looking at a different name, names that the prophet Isaiah spoke centuries ago, looking forward to a deliverer who would come and rescue the people. Now we as Christians take these names and we saw the fulfillment of them in Jesus. And so each week we've been looking at one name and how it applies to Jesus and then to our lives together. And so today we're focused in on the name Everlasting Father. And as we turn our attention in that direction, would you join with me now in a moment of prayer. God, either through me or in spite of me, might you speak words of hope and words of challenge to us, your people. God, may you be that strength that Isaiah spoke about to this servant who feels today a little faint. Give me what I need to be faithful to the task. God, we give you all of this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we started with the name Wonderful Counselor to describe Jesus. And then we shifted to talk about Mighty God. And next week, if you come back and join us, Pastor Rob will deliver a dramatic monologue where he'll take us a little deeper into who is this Isaiah who gave us these words anyway. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll focus in on Prince of Peace and what that means for us in Jesus, especially right now. But today, we pause and look at Everlasting Father. Now, I just want to say for starters that this word, this phrase for God, maybe for me feels a little harder to grasp than some of the others. I think maybe it begins with this word everlasting because to be honest with you, it doesn't feel like very many things are everlasting anymore. So to take you into that idea on social media just the other day, I saw this picture. I think we have it. If you can't quite read that, it says refrigerator made in 1980 will be with you forever. Anything made in the 2000s, two-year shelf life, okay? I don't know about you, but I think to myself, huh, the Formica countertop, that old refrigerator in your garage, the cast iron skillet, like those are everlasting, right? And any of this new electronic stuff, here today, gone tomorrow, maybe even designed to break. Well, as we think about this, I think it's challenging because we do live in a culture where so much feels disposable, doesn't it? It's single use. You, you use it and you toss it away. And so there's not a lot that feels everlasting. And so maybe that's a hard concept to grasp. Now, I know for some of you who are gathered here, you have the same kind of struggle grasping the word father. Maybe you've had some past trauma around that word. Maybe you didn't have the kind of dad in your life that you would hope to have. And that's an expectation that feels unfulfilled for you. And I can appreciate that. I want to just remind you quickly that Scripture uses lots of different metaphors to try to help us understand our relationship with God. One of the ones that's my favorite comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. And there Jesus is trying to paint a different picture of God and describes God like a mother hen, extending God's wings to gather us all together so that we would be safe and secure and seen, as Pastor Rob talked about when we did our baptism. 
So while God, while scripture uses lots of different metaphors, I do want to acknowledge that the metaphor we get most often is that of a father. In the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed, right, we begin with our father. That's a familiar idea. And if you wonder why, just imagine that that fits the worldview and the cultural context in which Isaiah and later Jesus are appearing. It would have been a way that they understood or talked about one who has authority. And yet, the thing that I don't want you to miss is that this idea isn't just meant to convey someone with authority. It's also meant to convey someone with whom you have a relationship, right? That that word would have been very familiar to them, but it even would have felt familial, right? That your father is someone who loves you and cares about you. We could imagine it in our own context, right? It's a parent's relationship with a child. They want at their very best to be invested in, to know what's happening in our lives, to support us, to see us succeed. But I do want to be clear as we begin to unpack this name for God, that it's not an equal relationship. You see, if we look at the Hebrew behind this particular name for God, we discover that it's Ava'ad. And the best translation I could find really says it's the possessor of eternity. That is big. So the one who possesses eternity is also supposed to be familiar and known to us. Wow. The one who possesses eternity is also supposed to care about us and be concerned about us. Think about the way that Jesus just talked about his relationship with his father throughout the Gospels. It's one of a parent and child who are fairly close, who are fairly intimate, who know each other, who are in conversation. Not something distant and really far removed. And yet at this point, what often seems really comforting to us, this familiar idea of a dad and a child, actually conveyed something far deeper to those who are hearing these words when Isaiah spoke them. Because the thing I don't want you to miss is the context around the words. You see, when Isaiah is speaking, the people are in a place of deep fear. There's this empire called Assyria that's to the north. And they're on the move, the march. They're literally gobbling up people and territory as they come. And they're getting closer to Israel. And the people are afraid. They're fearful. They're invited into an alliance with another people group and they, they decide not to and then they're attacked by that group as well and so now they're literally fighting on both sides and worried about what's going to happen fear is probably the best word I have to describe what's going on and in the midst of that place when they feel fearful and they're not sure where to turn the prophet Isaiah comes to them and speaks these words these different names and here's what's amazing to me I'm sure the people are looking for some dramatic and big and miraculous sign that everything's going to be okay. And that's not what Isaiah brings. Do you know what Isaiah points to? Do you know what Isaiah points to? Isaiah points to a woman who is pregnant in their midst. And he says, this woman, this child will be the sign unto you that you are going to be delivered. Before that child is born, God will make a way where you don't see any way to be possible. It sounds a little familiar to us, doesn't it? And yet, how can hope, the kind of hope that they were searching for, ever come from some sign that is that small and seemingly insignificant? The idea that one who is coming who possesses eternity is going to show up in this small child? I could imagine if I was them, I might have just shrugged it off and said, no way, I don't see how it's going to happen. 
And yet, if we kept reading, God does deliver the people. And then when we get to our second reading from Isaiah 40, guess what's happened again? The people are now in exile in Babylon. They feel like they've lost hope. They're stripped of their homeland. They're far apart from each other. And you know what's happened? They have forgotten that God ever delivered them before. Their fear has taken hold of them once again. And so Isaiah comes to them and utters these words. Have you not heard? Do you not know? What he's really saying is, do you not remember what God did for you before you have forgotten already? And then he says this. The God who is the possessor of eternity was here before you ever found yourself in this particular predicament. And you know what? The God who is the possessor of eternity will be with you after this particular predicament. That God will be with you all the way through because God is that big that God has always been before time and will be here after it. That our lives are literally held by God. And this for me is good news. As Pastor Mindy and I were talking about this text, she said to me, you know, it might be best to think of Isaiah as a trauma narrative. That the people continue to feel one kind of struggle after another, after another, and they keep forgetting. They keep losing hope. They keep wondering, how is it that we will go forward? Perhaps you're in a place today where you could relate to that feeling. The news that we read in the headlines is overwhelming. It's hard. The holidays are here and maybe they don't feel quite so joyful. The divorce or the job search, the diagnosis, they all feel too real. Maybe to not get too close to home, you're moving to a new state. You're leaving a community that you deeply love behind. And that's when we need a loving parent to walk into the room. Someone who has been here before and can remind you that it's going to be okay. That I'm with you. That you can trust me and that we're in this together. And that's this big idea that this everlasting father name is meant to communicate to us. I've been blessed in my life to be used by God and to have some of you be for me a small sign. Nothing big or miraculous that reminds me of what hope looks like. And my greatest privilege is when God has used me to be that kind of sign. One of these moments came for me several months ago. It was the day that we learned that Pastor Rob's father had died. Now some of you know that this has been a hard year for Rob. He's lost both of his parents. And when the news came, it was on a Friday afternoon. And there weren't very many people around the building. And as soon as I heard, I got up from my office and I walked down the hall to his. And he wasn't there. So I went looking. I went to the sanctuary thinking maybe he'd be here. I went down the hall to the chapel thinking I might find him there. And when I couldn't find him, I just went back to his office to wait. And sure enough, after a while, Rob walked in and thanked me in the pleasant way that you do for offering condolences in moments like that. And then I stayed. Until the news of what that really meant set in. We could pray together. It was in that moment just the ability to be present that might have been that small sign that reminds us that God is still with us. Even when we're fearful or we don't know what's next or we don't know how it is that we're going to go forward. But what we do know is that the God who is behind even those small moments in our lives 
is so much bigger than what we can see in that time and that space. For the aim of God's work for each of us is redemption and deliverance. That the things that we find that separate us so often from God, feelings of fear, maybe evil, death. If you've been around the U.S. a long time, we would say the only things that eternal are what? Death and taxes? Maybe even taxes. But what I know is that this small sign that's born to us in a manger named Jesus literally means that God has come to save us, to deliver us, to be with us in a way that we would know a kind of hope beyond the moment we find ourselves in. Because while redemption often happens for us in a moment, it's actually a much larger journey or story that we're a part of. One of my favorite illustrations of this comes to us from the Gospel of John. It's the story of Peter at the very end of that book. You see, Peter, who's this disciple Jesus called and walked with him through much of his ministry, who has a temper, doesn't always have it together. Peter, after Jesus' crucifixion, is standing around a charcoal fire and denies ever having known Jesus three times. And as that happens and the rooster crows and he realizes that faithful Peter goes to become fallen Peter. And he's ashamed and he's embarrassed and he's afraid. And so he goes back to the only thing he's ever known. He goes back to fishing. And it's there several days later that while they're out in a boat and the sun comes up in the morning, Peter sees on the shore around a charcoal fire this man named Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims into shore. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, even though I got it wrong, even though I messed up, even though I'm far away in this moment, you know that deep down I'm trying to. And Jesus recommissions him and sends him back out. It gives him a reminder that his mission didn't end in that moment, but that in God there's a power at work that Peter might one day be able to find new strength to soar, to be used by God in some mighty and powerful ways. But here's the thing. No matter what season we're in or the twists and turns that fall our lives, the thing that you need to know is that this everlasting Father is in it for the long game. Jesus comes to us to show us this in his relationship with Peter, right? One moment doesn't change the whole story. God comes to show us this in his relationship with the Israelites. That one tragedy or people group or threat isn't the whole story. And the Holy Spirit keeps showing up to us to remind us that in God's relationship with us. That one moment isn't the whole story. Because we have a God who comes to us and believes in us. I remember a moment where this became true for me when I was pretty young. See, as a kid, I I grew up in a family who weren't very outdoorsy. I don't mean that in a negative way. My parents are here right now, so they're aware that I'm telling this story. But my parents weren't just outdoorsy people. And so I got involved in the Boy Scouts as a kid. And that let me go camping and hiking and spend time outside. It was really wonderful for me. And if you know anything about the Boy Scouts, at some point along the way, you you have to pass certain requirements to move along, right, to get to the next rank. And I had a problem, and it was called a swimming test. You see, I wasn't a very good swimmer, and I knew that to move along, I had to pass this swimming test. 
And I didn't think I could do it. So one spring break when I was in high school, I had a scoutmaster. His name was Bruce. And he believed deeply in me. So much so that he gave up part of his days to meet me as a high schooler at the YMCA pool so that he could work with me until I could pass that swimming test. And you know what? By the end of the week, I did. And I went on to earn those other ranks and be an Eagle Scout eventually. And it's because somebody named Bruce was a small sign for me of what yet might yet be possible. Have you had somebody be a sign like that for you along the way? Someone who reminded you that there was hope when you didn't know that there was? Well, I have to say, as I step aside as one of your pastors, just what a profound privilege this has been. I have grown so much over the last eight and a half years. We've grown together. We've opened a Midtown campus. We've created a culture here of small groups. We've navigated COVID. We've started an online community. We've approved a new strategic plan, an open statement, and made commitments as a church to being anti-racist, to doing same-gender weddings. I've hired and mentored and been blessed by just amazing colleagues and pastors and leaders. But I have to tell you, for all of that, the thing that I am the proudest of is the way I have simply gotten to walk alongside so many of you as your pastor, to learn your name and your story, and to be there in your moments of great joy and moments of great sorrow when you invited me in to help you find and give hope through Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to celebrate the baptism of a little girl whose life is that exact story. And she doesn't even know it yet. Not long after I arrived at St. Luke's, I had the opportunity to teach one of our many classes. This one happened to be called the Pastor's Book Study. Several of those members are seated right here. I told them I'd talk about their group. And there was a woman in that group who uh, got to know me as I was teaching. And she said to me, my daughter has just moved home. She's a young adult. She's been in a long-term relationship that has abruptly ended. She's feeling a little lost. She's just searching. Would you, would you meet with her? Could you talk with her? And I said, of course. And so as we talked and she worked through her grief, she began to find her footing and what was going to be next. And not a couple years later, I got a phone call. She said, I've met someone. I'm engaged. Would you be willing to do our wedding? I said, of course. And so they were married in Robertson Chapel. And then, as sometimes happens, not long after that, they were pregnant. And they had a little girl. Their life got a little harder after that. In a lot of different ways. That mom who was a part of the pastor's book study who introduced me to her daughter, her cancer came back. It was more aggressive this time. So I got to walk with them and visit them in their home. And then eventually I did her funeral right here in Robertson Chapel. That little girl had some health complications and ended up in the hospital. And I got to visit them there. And today... On my last Sunday here as a pastor in this way, we'll baptize that little girl. And she will have no idea that any of those things I just told you have happened. She won't have any clue. Won't know anything about it. But what she will know is that she is beloved by God. 
And she'll know that, not because of me or any of those things that have happened before. She'll know that she's a beloved child of God because of you. She'll know it because of you, because you'll take that commitment that you just made with little Louisa. You'll take it seriously. You'll show up and you'll give and you'll serve and you'll help with vacation Bible school. And you will be the people who remember for her when life gets hard and she's frustrated and she wants to throw up her hands and say, I don't know if I believe any of this. You'll be the people who remember that the same God who's been with her family in the past is with her right now and will be everlasting into the future. And that'll happen because of you. I have to say that our job is to remember that story and to tell it and to live it. That this is the same God who comes to give strength to the powerless. The same God who sees in us divine goodness. The same God who is with us always as that everlasting Father. And I think this is good news for us no matter where we find ourselves today. It's good news even for me as one of your pastors. Because I have to say I too don't always get it right. I sometimes become that Peter who missed it. Who didn't follow up, who didn't make time, who took the easy way out. And I need you to be that same small sign for me. Just like God wants to use us to be that same small sign for each other. Of what God's love looks like. That love that began for us before the world was made and will carry with us into eternity. I hold great hope for the future. Now I'll be honest and say I don't know exactly what's next for me. As I support my spouse who's answering a call to move to Atlanta and to serve in a role at Georgia Tech. I don't know exactly what church I'll serve next or what it will look like. I don't know exactly what is next for you as St. Luke's. But you know what gives me hope? It's the character of God. This God who is an everlasting father who has met me so many times along the way, has met you so many times along the way, will continue to meet and lead and guide us as a community. It's that character of God that for me is the source of our hope. As we wait and as we journey together, no matter what fear befalls us, and as we prepare ourselves to receive that hope again at Christmas. Would you pray with me? God, each day is a new day. It's a gift from you because we don't know what it will hold. And on the days when fear and brokenness and grief get the best of us, when we're overwhelmed and we don't know how we're going to go forward, God, it's on those days that I ask that we too get that small sign, just that reminder through another person, through a prayer, through something, that God, you have been with us and you are yet with us now. Lord, help us to be the kind of community that remembers for each other what your love looks like and the kind of people who are open to be used by you to share it. For you, Lord, are the source of our hope no matter what comes. Remind us of that truth, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.